On this episode of Quantum Week, April 6th through 12th, 1997. Quantum Week. Quantum Week. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, and we talk about the the movies, the music, the headlines, the happenings, whatever makes that time period special. Absolutely. I feel like I want to vary that intro every time, right. just like a little bit. I don't know. I just uh, sound like a robot if I do it the same way. I know. It's quick, quick intro. We'll get right to it. And we'll get right to this, this movie, Gross Point Blank. Right, which is the best film we've seen in how long? Oh, Jesus. Two weeks? We were in a rough stretch. Uh, <laughs> this absolutely is the best film we've seen in a long time, it feels like. Uh yeah, this was a, this is a really good movie. This is a movie I really enjoy. Um, I think it has an amazing soundtrack. We'll get into that yeah, maybe yeah. a bit later. Um, it's really well done. It's really clever. Uh, I, I I really like. I think this is John Cusack's best performance. And I I've seen High Fidelity. I think this is a better performance and a better movie. Yeah, I think it's a better movie too. I, this is definitely. I can't. I, it's hard for me to say best. I'd have to really reflect on his entire career. But it might be this and High Fidelity might be his last two good films. After that, I kind of went downhill for him. He had he had he had more good movies in the first decade of the century than you might think. Yeah. The second decade of, of the century was a was one of the worst Horrible. decades. Yeah, of any Hollywood star ever. Two thousand twelve bullshit. Uh, but no, that was before. That was the first decade. Was that t- that was? Oh, was that really? Was okay, so, well, supposedly the like showing what was. Oh, now. all right. So that was still okay. So that by was, then it was still kind of. It bad. was that was that would have been the high point of the last decade at that. Had, but yeah, this if you ever want to like just do an IMDb of like a car crash. Yeah. Uh, check out 2011 through 2020 and his career. He he basically set his career on fire. Uh, he did I think a total of six straight to video, uh, movies and which would have been un which unheard of even like 15 years or 10 years, yeah. you know, like yeah. uh, in the first half of the century, that would have been insane. And the second half century, that was, that became the norm. He could, he just set his whole career on fire. He got really weird. He, he seems like a weird dude. I follow him on Twitter. Yeah. It's a hard follow. It's a hard follow. Um, he, he's, an I want to like him. He's very likable in this movie. He's very, and uh, like his career up till that point too. Like just yes. with the say anything and the one crazy summer and all those like funny meatballs ish type of films up through then. This movie is, is, uh, but think about the role he's playing in this film. He is playing a hitman who reduces he kills someone in cold blood. Yeah, he's a sociopath in this film. Um, and yet he's incredibly likable. Very charming. And you root for him the entire time. <laughs> you do, it's Which strange. is a tribute to him. <laughs> yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. This movie was really fun watching it in 2020 because it had uh, elements of some of the most interesting and creative things being done later. This shows you, So what I'm talking about is mm. uh, you have a hitman that is likable. Yep. Just like Barry. Uh, the HBO show, which yep. is my favorite show on television right now, is, is Barry. Barry. I don't watch it, but okay. It's fantastic. Check it out. Barry's amazing. It's half-hour episodes. They've only had two seasons. It's a, you could quick binge. It, there's nothing better than Barry on, on TV. Okay. Uh, and this is very similar to that uh, in, in the construct of having a hitman that's very likable and then meets a woman that has no idea he's a hitman. It's very good. Uh, the other thing is it has some elements of Sopranos. Oh, it does. Yeah. He has a, a hitman with a therapist. This came out two years before the first season of Sopranos. Right. I wonder if it influenced. I don't think so. It sounds like uh, David Chase had the, kind of the idea already, but you wonder though if it had some sort of nugget somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but this shows how creative and how brilliant this screenplay was. Yeah. And Alan Arkin as a therapist is an awesome part. He He's does great. that so well. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like how Well, Cusack how at this, this point one. in his career had a lot of power. 
So you can mm. see what he did with this movie. So Cusack, of course, the Chicago guy. Yeah. Uh, Alan Arkin was uh, most famous as an improviser. Uh, started his career as an improviser uh, in Chicago, oh, Second City. So yeah. he has some Chicago ties. I don't know if that's how he got, if Arkin and Cusack had the Chicago bond there. But look at the other people in the film. You have Joan Cusack. Yeah, of course. Of course, sister. You that Jer- happens often, though. He, he does. He, he, he tends to get her in. Jeremy Piven, who at the time oh, was right. his best friend. I don't know um, They've since not friends anymore, I guess. Mm. Um, and then other, uh, you know, just... I think Cusack kind of uh, flexed his muscle a little bit when it came to getting some of the people on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, he made sure that soundtrack w- was really great. A lot of 80s hits. He was a co-producer on this and he even uh, got a screen, got a uh, writing credit. I saw that he was participatory in the writing process. I don't know how much. I mean, it seemed like there were a lot of writers. It, it wasn't much. So Didn't he have an old buddy who wrote the original screen screenplay? Is that what it was? It wasn't his buddy. This is the most fascinating part of this movie yeah. is the guy that wrote it. So this guy named Tom Jankowitz. Right. Okay, so Jankowitz was, uh, got an invitation almost verbatim to the invitation that John Cusack's character gets for his 10-year reunion. <laughs> really? In fact, we should stop right now because you should give a 15-second summary. Of this movie. Oh, let's do that. So John Cusack is Martin Blank. He's a, he's a hitman. We, we talked about that before. Who runs away from home um, at the end of high school, standing a um, mini driver who's his girlfriend at the time and in this movie, standing her up at the prom. He apparently joins the army, becomes a contract killer, and because he screws up a hit, he has to do a makeup hit in his hometown, which coincides with his 10-year high school reunion. So he decides to go to that as well. I freaked out. <laughs> I, freaked I joined out. the army. <laughs> yeah. Became a hitman. Went in business myself. Right. Um, the funny thing is he tells the truth the entire time of the movie. He's yep. a sociopath, but everybody asks him what he does, and he says, I'm a hitman. I'm like, a he tells killer. them. Yes, yeah. yes. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, back to Tom Jankowitz. Yeah. So um, Jankowitz gets an invitation verbatim, almost to the word of the one that Joan Cusack reads to him at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, Jankowitz thinks this is such a bizarre kind of idea and then he ends up kind of coming up the hitman thing and he basically writes the script yeah um he's a nobody he, he has no influence in hollywood whatsoever at this time he's just a ass he's an aspiring screenwriter he's like working at like a grocery store he's a nobody he writes this i wonder why that is that why they call dan Aykroyd's character grocer oh i don't know i don't know be interesting. um but he uh he ends up uh i think he wrote it in 91 that's how yeah. long this yep. took it took six years for this to go from that because he was a nobody yeah so he ends up writing this. He ends up, uh, you know, obviously he gets on John Cusack. And John Cusack, I think, at that point kind of facilitates it. And it becomes kind of a, um, that becomes becomes a movie. Um, so Jankowitz never writes really anything again. He ends up becoming a script doctor in Hollywood. So what that means, script doctor is someone that if they're kind of like having a hard time punch, they, the script doesn't have enough jokes in it, or a script needs kind of a, a good third act or something. Yeah. They'll bring in script doctors. William Goldman's probably the most famous one. But they'll bring in script doctors to go in and make the script better. Um, a lot of times they'll do it maybe in a room with a bunch of other writers. You'll have stand-up comedians in this room. You'll have uh, other script doctors, and they all just kind of basically brainstorm. Hmm. Um, it's a very common thing in Hollywood, especially for movies that they have weak scripts to begin with. Anyway, Jenkins does this in 2013. Um, not his college, but a college his brother went to asked him to come speak. You said 2013, 93, 2013 in 2013. Oh, you're yeah. so okay. We're fast forward. Sorry. Go ahead. Right. So they, uh, Right, because he's already been a script doctor. I see, so I see, I see. We're, yeah. we're in 2013 now. Uh, his brother's college, so not the college he went to, um, was showing the movie, uh, showing Gross Point Blank. And they wanted to have him come by and give uh, a talk, like a Q&A thing. Mm. So they show the movie. He starts, he begins the Q&A, drops dead. 49, no! 49 years old. 
Of what? Just uh, uh, I, heart I, attack I try or, like hell. Everything I can see is natural causes. I'm afraid. Last night I was up until like, <laughs> I went in a deep dive on this guy because I was trying to find out why yeah. he died. I couldn't find anything. Couldn't find it? The natural cause was the closest I could find. I read like seven obituaries in the guy and seven stories about him. Um, Weird. But yeah, he, he, he dropped dead, but he, this was pretty much the only thing he did, but it's brilliant. It is. Yeah, it's really good. But sometimes you only get that one good idea. And I think that's fine. Idea. We and talked about one hit wonders before on the, on sure. the show and thinking that uh, that's fine. If something hits, then it kind of sets you up for the rest of your life. You have something you're known for. Right. And he, got to, he got to be a script doctor. He wasn't, he didn't have to work in like, you know, gas stations anymore. And like that he got to, you know, have a nice career in Hollywood. I, I don't know if he was rich or not, but it seemed like he had a nice idea. Yeah. 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 And, um, but unfortunately, he yeah, he, uh, 49 years old. That's too young. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Um, but this movie is is fantastic. I think John Cusack is incredibly charismatic in it. Minnie Driver is great. She's great. I mean, I, I think she's like incredibly lovable in this movie. Yes. Yet. Uh, but the movie takes a little while to get started. And it's funny. You see the pacing difference between a movie made in 97 and a movie today. So the first 18 minutes is kind of, they're not in gross point. He's not in gross point yet. No. And it's kind of drags. Yeah. He's on a hit. He's talking to his secretary, which is played by his sister, Joan. Yep. And you're right. It takes a, a while to kind of get through that and, and then, then get it, him into gross it point. It takes a while. And, it, and yeah. it is, it really does drag. It's really not incredibly entertaining. And I'm watching him thinking like, man, did I remember this movie differently than, you know what I mean? Like, I was right. Like, you were hoping that it didn't yeah, continue like, like that for the rest like, of the oh, film. Boy, I was going to start get bummed out. But and then, actually, now that you say that, I think that they didn't do enough job giving him a back, like giving enough credence to his backstory. That there was one of the, the issues with the plot that I had. It's like he has this big turn, but you didn't show enough of his backstory to 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 make that that turn kind of complete later on, where he he has an existential crisis and he changes his life. So maybe they could have done this better in the in the backstory part. I kind of like how you figure you are basically a gross point resident. Yeah. You're figuring him out along with everybody else. Yeah, you are, and you already have a back history with John Cusack so you already kind of know his face just like they have it but you know what I mean like we have that's a relationship funny you say with that because I think he's that he is that guy he's he's sort of the more narcissistic guy that he was in one crazy summer in say anything like he's kind of the more sociopath he's sort of as his career has gone on he becomes kind of more self-absorbed more narcissistic more sociopath from this movie and then into the next movie um, what not Empire Rapper uh, High Fidelity, uh, High Fidelity yes. it's I, like I see his characters yeah. change in that way and it's so He's John Cusack, that kind of underachieving, sincere, kind of goofy dude. Yeah. Just slightly more narcissistic than sociopathic in this one. Yeah. So you're right. You do have a backstory with John you Cusack, do. the actor. And, yeah. uh, and you do kind of eventually, it, it does slowly come out. Why, you know, what happened that night? Why did he leave? Where did he go? Yeah. Um, I, like, I like this little reveal of it. Um, I, my favorite scene in the movie, though, is when they're at the reunion. I think that oh, is yeah. hysterical. I'm in stitches the whole time. Yeah. I mean, just his, like, he's such a, like, smart ass. And just is like, <laughs> he he's so, like, annoyed with everybody. The drunk uh, jock poetry guy. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that, even the, my favorite character might be the woman giving the name tags out. Oh, like, yeah, She's yeah, just, yeah. like, super fake. See like, who you once were. And Mini Driver, even, she's like, oh, she's kind of shits on Mini Driver's radio show. And Mini Driver <laughs> yes. goes, well, you know, yeah, you're, like, you're, you're the, the demo. Demographic. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, um, but it, 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 I think it's just incredibly entertaining. I really like the other characters. Jeremy Piven is great in this. He is. And it's really, I really love the scene. So there's a few things I really love about this movie that I think about a lot, actually. One thing is um, when he's, you hear the uh, live and let die, um, yep. Guns N' Roses version. Very, he's driving up to her house. Is that what it is? No, he's going, he's going he to going? his old house. Oh, his old house. And it's very loud over you. And then oh, he yeah. walks into the convenience <laughs> yes. store and it's the elevator music version. The Muzak version. And it's it exactly the right I the thought part the same of the thing. song. Yep. And I think about that anytime I go to a store for the last whatever, since I've seen this movie 23 years ago, 
and I hear like a elevator version a song of a song I might kind of like, I think of this movie. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's that's so funny. It is a funny one. Uh, another thing I really love about this movie is, and it shows the bond between friendships, especially with, I think with guys more than with girls, especially when you're in high school. So he kills this this uh, this hitman that's after him. John Cusack does. Yep. Uh, at the at the reunion, um, he does it in like a hallway and it's with fr- a pen. With a pen and his old best friend happens to like see it kind of happen yeah and his old best friend helps him dispose the body doesn't ask any questions no and just kind of just helps. incinerate like just wraps him up in in some banners and throws him in an, he, like, he does, a, in he a does he's, like, he's like this guy you he was trying to kill you right like, yeah that was that. it it was just like a little check-in and then he does get kind of he does give him a look like he's kind of annoyed with him like why did you put me in that situation that's right. kind of shitty yeah and i i, I mean i don't want to incriminate myself if this ever happens but <laughs> i i really think that if that had i think i would do the same thing if i was that character yeah you know you'd help your friend out you know when you're a high school guys like that's that bond yeah is, you're, you're i mean it's your crew and you, you my, I, maybe i'm also different in this where i'm sensitive to because like my wedding uh my entire bridal party except for my brother-in-law were guys i went to high school with i mean they're guys you have t- ninja turtle tattoos on your right. on your like, uh, calf over. and even the photographer at my wedding is a guy with high school like we just have this crew that's incredibly tight yeah so like i can't imagine doing that kind of thing <laughs> like helping them in a really bad spot but then i imagine being really pissed off afterwards being like what the fuck you just got me you could get me in real trouble here exactly um i just i love that entire scene i think it's played out to me so honestly and real um that it, it, it just um it totally kind of soaked me in. I, I, I was all, I was all in. I, I really love that scene. I really love the reunion stuff. Yeah. I love the scene with him holding the baby. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. It's endearing. I, the look he gives the baby and how the baby goes to look back. That's almost how I felt when I first held my niece, my first niece. Mm. And it was like, I remember looking at me and going, Oh wow. Like, this is something I want to like, I remember thinking like, yeah. I, I'd love to have a, a kid. But before I had, before my niece was in my life, I never really want, I was like, I want to have kids, but it was like, I need to have something you say. You know, you yeah. don't really look at it like realistically. Yeah. And I think at that moment, you can see John Cusack's brain, you know, Martin Blank's brain going like, oh, this is something I kind of want too. Like, I'd love to have, you know, this, this, this thing, you know, and it's not a shitty thing. And I love how the mom is saying, it's not bad to have a kid. It's not bad to have a family. It can be really rewarding. It can right. be the best thing ever. And um, so I love how he, the, Martin Blank had all these different um, relationships and different conversations with different people at the reunion. It wasn't like everyone was a nerd or everyone was was um, a typical cliche. Some people were really deep, and you only met them for a couple minutes, but they were really interesting characters. I could have watched that reunion scene for three hours. Oh yeah, it could have been a lot longer than it was. Yeah, it was uh, it was uncomfortable in the right places. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and very funny. And th- that was one of the things that I realized. Like I forgot how much uh, John Cusack makes me laugh. Like me too. Oh, most of the film, I was. It was entertaining. It made me laugh. I'm like, oh, I remember what it used to be like. Remember this guy? Yeah. (laughs) I know. Um, I forgot how charismatic he was. Yeah. I'm like, this guy is really fun to watch. He is. And you, after the last 10 years, you, you, I you forget. He's so approachable in this film. That's the thing. He's so good. He's like, you could be his buddy. Yeah, but he's a hitman. But he's a hitman. We shouldn't feel this way. But you can't help it because he's so, just like Bill Hader and Barry, these guys are so charismatic and you just want to like them so bad. You're willing to forget these horrible (laughs) things they've done. Well, same with Minnie Driver too. I mean, the end is they get together and sort of drive off into the sunset. Yeah. And after she witnesses the aftermath of him killing the guy in the... In the uh, in the high school at the high school reunion, which I, I thought was some, a little, I have some problems with the ending. Yeah, um, Roger Ebert did too. Roger Ebert said it was the biggest part of the movie. I mm. agree. Yeah, 
Um, they shot three different endings for this. They shot uh, the director. Who's the director? George Armitage. Armitage, which he's done some funny films. So this is a weird. It's one a weird. For him yeah, he he is a weird thing. He was near the end of I think his run. Yeah, um, and the only other I think I saw Miami Blues, the movie he did before yeah. this, a long time ago, and I don't remember. I much have not of it. seen Miami Blues. That was uh, one of the Baldwin's, right? Bald, uh, it was Alec. Uh, okay, yeah. was it Alec in it? I believe so. Okay, I thought maybe Billy. It doesn't matter. I but I. I thought it was a... Oh, and then he did the big bounce after this with... He did. Oh, which is... Which, I hate it, actually. I've never seen that, but I it's, hate it's it. a disaster. Because I like Owen Wilson, and he's in it. It cost like $50 million to make it. made like four. It was, a, it was a complete... It was a piece a of complete shit. disaster. That was the last thing he did was that. You're right. Um, but this was, that was like seven years after this. So I wonder if this was John Cusack targeting him for some reason. I, I don't know. Oh, I, John... There's no question in my mind. John Cusack was... Okay. The puppet... He, anybody in this movie was because John Cusack wanted them in this movie. I'll put well, it that way. It was weird. But so I read that uh, that that Armita- Armitage, Armitage, Arm- I, I called it Armitage, but I Armitage said that he actually filmed not just three endings, but like three different versions of the movie. Like they took the scenes in three different ways so that he could kind of make it from more straight to more buffoonish and cartoony. And that's the one that they, they kind of choose. They more over the top. Over the top, yeah. Um, which I think works with this. Yeah, um, because, of ha- because of Cusack. Cusack can handle that. He's yeah. done that, like, throughout his career. It's over the top. He, exactly right. Yeah. Um, and I think, so, Armitage, after this movie came out, seemed a little bitter. He wasn't getting the credit. I think he wanted to get more. He, he started to say, like, I wrote a lot of this, which he didn't. That's not, yeah. that's not true. Yeah. Um, and then he started to say things like, um, uh, he, he wanted to kind of uh, flex his power, because I think he felt that Jankowicz was getting a lot of credit, and he felt, obviously, John Cusack was getting a lot of credit. I'm sure. Um, but that, that ha- so if you're a star like John Cusack, you love getting a script like Jenkowitz's for two reasons. A, it's really good. Yeah. But B, this guy has no power. You can basically, you know. Oh, I'll, you can manipulate it however you want. And now right. you can, you don't have to fight. It's not like you're getting a script from William Goldman. Yeah. Now you got to get with Goldman about casting. You got to really negotiate certain things. There's no terms here. Right. Jenkowitz is just happy you fucking write his fucking <laughs> yeah. script. Yeah. So now you can really, uh, kind of flex your muscle a little bit. And, and this was John Cusack's production from A to Z here. So talk about the end. You were doing that when I interrupted. Yeah, it's not great. Um, but then the flip side is, well, how do you end it? Unfortunately, when you have these high stakes like this, uh, the the last, the third act, or in this case, it's like really almost like the fifth act. Yeah. Um, the very, you know, the last 15 minutes, there's really no way to end it. You know, unless, unless you, end, you, can, you can end it realistically. You can kill him. Well, no, I think you end it, <laughs> end it realistically, which basically is... Um, Minnie doesn't forget or doesn't forgive him right. and he goes the away. Dad is not, yeah. you know, the, the target and you can just basically just, you, you just go back to LA. Right. And Minnie just ends up sad and lonely. That, yeah. would, be, that would be a real ending to yeah. this film. That would be realistic. Right. Um, but, you know, a movie like this had a certain tone to it. I think it would have been an odd way to end it. Very sad. Way to I think it. so. Or, right, you, you kill Martin Blank. I don't know if that's, uh, he, he's kind of proven to be almost like a superhero, so I don't know if that's ultra realistic. Sure. Um, you know, look, if this was a 10-hour Netflix series, maybe you do have them, you know, find peace there, in a right, different there's way. A lo- right, there's a longer way of this th- is a, a road to redemption, which you can't do in an hour and 50-minute movie. Exactly. Yeah. So I, th- I think considering all this, you know, the, the ending is okay enough. It doesn't completely taint the movie for me at all. Well, as you see, Armitage says that he was affected by the public backlash on Miami Blues. I think they do kill the main character. And yeah. so he he felt like he couldn't do it with this one. Yeah, I, I don't think Armitage had that power. I think that's yeah, a, maybe I not think too. he's lying okay, there. Right. I think John Cusack and Tom Jankowitz wrote a script. <laughs> yeah. And Armitage thinks that he had... I think that's another example of him flexing his muscle. Because it doesn't make any sense. I don't right. think that the director is not going to... Um, you know, th- this movie... 
from A to Z had John Cusack written all over it. Yeah. Look at the casting. He had, he had, John Cusack had a production credit. Like, so That's you have right. a producer on set. You tell me the direction, be like, I want a new ending. I, I don't think it goes that way. But, you know, <laughs> I, I wasn't on set. Maybe I'm wrong. But Right. Yeah, so I, I found that a little odd, too, is that, that, uh, that she would have forgiven him. But I think but you have you to. How do yeah. else do you end it, though? So my, I guess my question is, and feel free to, to tweet us or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, get back to us on Facebook, or whatever. But if you if you don't like the ending, what, well, what, what, do you do? what would you what would your ending have been? And maybe maybe someone has a better idea. Yeah, maybe. Did you? I saw other feedback that people didn't like the action sequence of the um the kind of the duel uh at at the at Mini Driver's dad's house at the end of the film, which I really I really thought it was very entertaining. Uh, so I, you got a bunch of hitmen going after right. uh, Mini Driver's dad, and Cusack basically like takes them all out. And I in don't their like house. how casual. Cusack it's very casual because it kind because the one thing I like about when they killed that guy at the reunion is there, were, there was a real and this kind of goes back to what we're talking about Poseidon when Richard Dreyfus kills that guy there's no like pathos there right. he kills the guy and he's like fine two minutes later which is completely unreal but we already know he doesn't have any problem killing people who he thinks he doesn't it. but people have reaction around you like Jeremy Piven was very affected by that yeah and, that's true and I like that reaction because I felt honest to me and real when he's just making jokey jokes. Well, Minnie and Dad were shocked. They were shocked, but if you, I think John Cusack should hopefully be a little bit more uh, on edge because if they get past him, they're going to kill. That's true. His this girl he loves. Yeah, that's true. And he didn't seem to care. He's too too quick to make a quip about it. Like, yeah. I, I, I could have been for a movie that yes was over the top, still had some elements of real realness and you know George W. Bush truthiness to it. Yeah. This, you know, I felt that scene was just a cartoon. It like, was. I mean, right. killed Dan Aykroyd with a TV in the head. That's, that's, I, a, that's I guess a, that is silly. That's Wiley Coyote. I, I was a lot more annoyed with um, just the jokey joke stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, I, 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 I guess just, what else, but here's another, like, what else do you do there, though? He just plays it straight and, and it's tense music and he goes around. Maybe you don't need to have the shootout at the house. Maybe they, yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. different ways to, to, yeah, yeah. to kind of skin a cat, but I, it just, the, the ending doesn't do it for me, but it's hard to come up with a better ending. I kind of, I actually forgot the end. I think I blocked that in my mind <laughs> um, because uh, to me, the movie kind of ends at the reunion and yeah. when Minnie storms off, uh, the movie kind of ends in a lot of ways there. I know, I know, I knew it ended happily, but I kind of just, yeah, I don't really ever think about that ending. It's, it's kind of silly and stupid. Um, but I do, I do hmm. like this movie a lot. This is uh, right there with Kingpin among my favorites. I'll rank them, you know, later on this, this uh, but this, this is right there with some of my favorite. Yeah, it's up there. I, I call this a comedy. Um, Absolutely, I, I, I rank this as one of my favorite comedies in the '90s. This is a really, really, really funny. If you haven't checked it, you haven't watched it. Go check it out. Totally see it. Um, and the soundtrack is great too for people yes. our age, right? So I, what I did was I com- I put together and and this is on the list. Yeah. Uh, of my ten favorite soundtracks uh, in a non musical. Okay. Um, I thought I, I read them to Matt. Matt doesn't know this list at all, and maybe Matt can give some reaction if he has a strong opinion about any of them. That's that would be great. Cool. I'll go yeah. from ten to one. Yeah, let's go ten to one. Number ten, Rushmore. That's a great one. Yeah. Rushmore, That's a great one. Yeah. They, they use a lot of like uh, stuff in the late 60s, early 70s. I think a couple different songs from The Who. Yeah. Um, I find Anderson in general, I love his soundtrack. Me too. Yeah. And so uh, probably we're going to find another one on this list, I would we guess. Will. Yeah, I bet. Uh, number nine, um, I put this on here for more um, reasons for importance than for quality. It's the big chill. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's it was all, a lot of soul, all like soul music and R&B. Stuff. Yeah. But yep. the reason I put that on there is because that was one of the first movies to really incorporate using popular music. So like a soundtrack as opposed to a score. It's a big and chill 80s or 70s? Uh, early 80s. Early 80s. Okay. Um, and to really have it be marketed, it, it sold a ton of copies. It was a huge best-selling oh, album. Oh, I see. Okay. And it used uh, you know, having a soundtrack as opposed to a score in a really effective way. Um, 
I don't. I, I love. I enjoy Motown a lot. Yeah. Really good stuff. And the album's really good. If you haven't ever heard it, go check it out. I think Procol Harms on there too, which yeah. is not Motown, but but it's a lot of stuff of that era. Um, the movie itself, I don't really like. I think it's very whiny, baby boomer bullshit. Yeah. But um, the soundtrack, I think, is is, is good. Okay. Um, number eight, my other Wes Anderson, uh, and maybe one of the best movies of the last century, The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, and maybe that would be higher for me. I'll hear the rest of the list. But I, I the love that. This was hard to put together, man. That's an emotional film for me. Watching that is like a, is a huge roller coaster, and a lot of that has to do with music. And the, oh. I mean, and it's filming, but it's it's, it's an amazing it's soundtrack. Phenomenal, uh, Royal Tenenbaums. If you've never seen it, go see it. It might be it might be my favorite film of the last of this century. Uh, it's, it's like a top five top. film for me in general. Yes, I love that film. Uh, me as well. Yeah. Um, number seven. The, this is going to be become also kind of a repeat thing. Yeah. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I'm not as enthused. That movie doesn't. A lot of people love that film more than I I do, and so and yeah, the soundtrack's okay. Yeah, it's I good. think the soundtrack phenomenal. Does. I think the movie's very good. It's not my favorite Quentin Tarantino by any. It's on the back half of mine. Um, it's certainly extremely iconic and burned in my memory. The whole like dismemberment oh. scene with uh, uh, and I don't know why I can't you deny yeah. whatever that song yep. is in there. That's like burned into my fucking memory. So yeah, it probably should stuck be in the middle list. with you. stuck in the middle with think, you. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, by Steeler's Wheel or something. Right. Yeah, okay. So I really love this soundtrack because uh, it basically, it, the premise is it's an all 70s weekend on this radio station. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And Stephen Wright is the DJ. And if you actually listen, <laughs> right. to, the, if you listen right. to the soundtrack, they have his cuts in there. <laughs> yeah. So it almost sounds like you're listening to the radio. Um, and I think the use of Tarantino's use of music, which you're going to hear oh, of course, list, yeah, yeah. is is phenomenal. But I really love the DJ element of it. And I think it, it just uses music. I better. forgot about that. That's really creative. Number six. Uh, casino. What's in casino? So casino, I think you know, I'm. This is probably the one where I'm. I kind of break from sure. a lot of movie critics and stuff like that. I love the casino. I love the movie casino more than most people do. Casino's good. I think it's phenomenal, and I love the soundtrack more than most people do. Uh, my favorite part of the soundtrack in the movie is um, it's Devo. Um, Whip it. No, they're playing a Satisfaction cover. Oh, yeah, that that's a great one. And it's unbelievable how they use yeah. the movie. It's right when it's all falling apart for De Niro's character. Sharon Stone's, like, completely off, off, like, and they don't know where she is. Oh, right. And they're afraid right. she might come to the house and try to kill De Niro or kill the daughter. Don Rickles is, like, De Niro's, like, right-hand man, and he's, like, going to find a gun. Like, it is, yeah. like, it is... And it's uh, and if you listen to the Devo version of Satisfaction, I think it's such an amazing song. It's like pulse pounding. It's like very, almost threatening. Well, the thing is, it's an also it's an odd phrasing and on time signature too. It's it's a break from the original. I this might be a that Casino might have been my first experience with with that, and I recognized the song and was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, and looked into it. The Devo version's really weird, and it's perfect for that scene. You're totally oh, right. It's, so it's, it creates this foreboding, it's a lot intense, yeah. L, like. So I listen to that song like, all the time. Like, yeah. I really love that it's song. It's a great one. But I love the rest of the soundtrack too. It's really, it's really good. I'm a huge Scorsese fan. Yeah. Um. So uh, that that's on there. Number five, Donnie Darko. <sighs> See, I don't remember the sound. I, I like. So I it takes place. It actually takes place the uh, like the week I think, or right around the uh, mid nineties, isn't it? No, no. It came out in I think two thousand. It takes it really? place. The, I think uh, the week my wife was born, which is the first week of October in eighty eight. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So, so um, is it all contemporary all, music from that time? It's really good stuff. It's like Echo and the Bunny Man. Yeah. It's like all alternative 80s stuff. So it's not like pop stuff. It's like some some um, some really good stuff in the Joy Division. Some some yeah, really right. really good stuff in there. I think they, and I think they use the music really well. Uh, number four, uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, I mean the most. Yeah. I mean just phenomenal. I mean, just right, boom. Uh, it's such great stuff when they when they're seeing the helicopter at the end of the you know near the end of the movie when like uh, Henry Hill's having like freakouts and uh, yeah. 
it, it, to everything to when they go in the Copacabana and they walk through the entire right. Like, it's just fantastic. It, Scorsese uses, uses music phenomenally. Uh, number three, Pulp Fiction. Yep, that would definitely be on my list. I mean, just a soundtrack. Uh, I, so Pulp Fiction came out when I was a uh, sophomore in high school. 96. Um, 94. Was it 94? Yeah, it was God that amazing it. year of Gump and Shawshank I saw that. And, I, how did they even let me in the theater? I wasn't 18 then. I saw it twice in the theater. I saw my mom. Did you? Yeah. I did not see it with I anybody. I mean, my mom bring me like, I gotta see this movie. Like, I was just obsessed with, with all things Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it was like, it was one of the I'm most- surprised your mom handled that with you. Oh, well, I grew up in a house that we didn't have, like, the, my, my parents are both do like, yeah, yeah, show business yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, right, like, yeah, yeah, so we, okay. we didn't have a lot of, like, I was watching, I, someone asked what's your first radar movie. I'm like, I don't remember. I always watch radar. Like, I don't, I never, I don't have a first radar movie that I watched because I've been watching them since I was zero. I don't know. Um, so there wasn't a lot of rules like that yeah. in my house. Um, Predator was my first R. My dad took me to see that. I was young. Okay. Yeah. 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 We went, my, yeah. I went to, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't have any um, predator. That's that's a good one. Yeah, um, yeah. Pulp Fiction uses music amazingly. I mean, that album's phenomenal. It's iconic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't really need to yeah. talk about it anymore. But also one of my favorite films ever. Number two, this one, Gross Point Blank. I love this one. soundtrack. I had this tape in my car. I listen to it all the time. Um, it's funny. It's about a ten year reunion, and it, it came out the year you know right, right before I graduated high school myself. So right. maybe there's some sort of like weird subconscious tie for me there that really makes me really love this movie uh, a lot, and I really love the soundtrack. And my number one. Um, this is number one by far. By far. Um, by far, I've uh, I've now listened to this probably a hundred times. I think uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, it's great. I think it's just incredible. I know you love this film. That you love that film. I, I, I thought it's really good. It's not my favorite, but I, I thought it's really. I good. I thought it was the best film of last year. Number two was Nineteen Seventeen for me. Yeah, but uh, right. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is number one by quite a, by quite a bit. Um, and that's nothing against Nineteen Seventeen. I love this, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much, and I love this soundtrack to an almost insane degree. Yeah, uh, I listened to it. Oh my god! Like every day last summer, I, I just listened to it everywhere I went. I just I these things phenomenal. So a great example, just one quick example of why I love it so much is the depths of it and the thickness of it. So what I mean by that is, um, there's a song called "Out of Time" by Rolling Stones. Yep, they play of course. And uh, the scene DiCaprio's coming back from Italy, and it's like, um, and it can mean a number of things. "Out of Time" is a song about someone being kind of out of touch, and the whole idea is that DiCaprio. The whole part of the movie is. DiCaprio was a once famous guy whose career is like falling apart and how he's kind of dealing with that and dealing yep. with that. So the song could mean that, but it could also mean out of time in that maybe he's going to die soon because it's, he's coming back home the night of the Manson murders. That's right. And you have that Manson you don't know. over your head. Right. And if you listen to even the lyrics of the song, so many of them have double meanings. Not only that, but it's played against this amazing shot of DiCaprio in the airport. Right. It, 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 and almost every song in the movie has these like double and triple meanings to it. And if you really want to like do a deep dives, like everything has all of these different ideas and um, uh, concepts to them. So it's not even just like hearing a song and the movie. Now you have all these other like meanings levels and to layers. it. Yeah. And it just, it really, it, it blows me. But that's, that might be my favorite use of a song and in a movie. Really? Is that shot. And I, and I know I looked at a lot of great movies. Jackie Brown has a great soundtrack. Um, Magnolia is one I thought that uh, maybe you would have. Magnolia is a great. Amy, Amy, Amy Mann, Mann, right? Fantastic. Her cover of One is is beautiful. Incredible. Amazing. Oh, yeah. one of the that's one of my Save favorite. Me. The cover of One in that movie is one beautiful. of my favorite. And through the the scenes that there that it's in, I think it's in a couple scenes. Actually, it's beautiful. I mean, Boogie Nights we didn't talk about. Oh, that's right too. Another yeah, great yeah, one. Yeah. No, no one ever talks about another great one. Stand by me uses yeah. it brilliantly. Um, and it really because more Motown right. No, scene. it's all 50 stuff. Is it? Re- oh, was, yeah, 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 right. But think about it. There's four kids in the woods. So, you don't, yes, you can say it's the 1950s, but why would we know that? There's no buildings or cars. 
but because we hear the music the entire time, we're constantly reminded we're in the fifties. Yeah, and it's a really great. It's almost like a, it's almost like a fifth character in that in that movie. I really like that. Um, but once upon a time in Hollywood, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's amazing. Okay, so a ton of good ones there. Why don't we move on to the song though? Absolutely. So much different than the songs that we've been talking about. So uh, it's Spice Girls' "Wannabe" was number one this week. Yes, in ninety seven, and I mean. I, of course, I knew the song at the time, but I didn't. Uh, again, I didn't really think about it too much or know too much about the Spice Girls. But the Spice Girls are kind of like this super group. Who's your favorite Spice Girl? Oh, um, Scary. Like, there oh. is no, there's like no competition. Scary is the best Spice. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, she's talented. She can rap. She can sing. She can dance. And she's, she's really attractive, too. She's, she's okay. amazing. Although, if you look at Sporty now, um, <laughs> I don't know if 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 this is a like her character come becoming true life, but she's jacked. Like she looks amazing now. She's really? super fit, and yeah, she's still like performing and confident. She's she's really great. She's aged phenomenally. Yeah, my favorite when I was a kid, where a kid, a teenager, I was I liked Baby Spice. No, but now that I'm, I figured you'd be a I'm ginger spice. Sure, man, I like ginger spice. <laughs> yeah, of course. Ginger actually in the wannabe video. The the video is kind of weird. Uh, we'll start there. So, have you watched it recently? I saw, not recently. I saw okay. it when it came out. Um, yeah. So it's it's another all these long videos that that used to happen all over the place uh, don't happen anymore. But the Spice Girls are walking up to kind of what's like a, a club slash ballroom. Right. Right. Yes, and yes. they go in and they like go by the concierge and like throw his paperwork away. And then they walk into this hallway going to the ballroom <laughs> and the song starts scary, like turns to you and like starts singing it. Right. Uh, but she, <laughs> but but Ginger Spice is so odd. You check her out in this video. She's so odd. I, I the way I she did, dances. Out, I checked her out a lot. Uh, yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. But she dances so weird and awkwardly. She looks like an old lady, kind of a, like an old lady impersonating a young lady. They're only, and they're 21, 22 years old. It's very awkward and weird. Uh, but they're just running through the ballroom, jumping on tables, messing people's hairs <laughs> like up. Being assholes. <laughs> just be assholes. Like, in real life, you're like, get the fuck out of here. And this is like what female empowerment, apparently, is to go into a ballroom a, and beat people be a up. Piece of shit. It'd be very obnoxious. Sporty does his backflip on a table, though, which is I think it I think it's her that does it. Really? It's pretty cool. I was like, oh, you're acrobatic too. Mm, you're my second favorite. Anyway, Spice Girls. Uh, designed as a super group. So the, I, the, there was a, uh, a dad and son team. I think it was like heart management put an ad in the paper in 92 or 93 or something saying, uh, looking for women, 18 to 23 year, three year, uh, three years old who are street smart and ambitious and can sing and dance. And they got hundreds of people who replied to it. And held auditions that, you know, said, if you're this person, you know, if this type of person come to this place at this time between, you know, 10 in the morning and four in the afternoon and, and bring this hundreds of people auditioned. They narrowed it down to five, um, the, including four of these spice girls and one extra that they ended up canning like a month in. I can't is like a Pete best spice girl. Yeah, there, there is. Oh, uh, no. she was young. She was the youngest. I think she was 17 at the time. Was she the original baby spice or would they have a different name for her? It wasn't. I think. I think you might be right that they added baby after. They must. I think they added baby after. I think that's what it was, but only a few months after. Okay. And then they they basically they they rented a house for them and put them there for two years. Oh my god! Yeah, as they were like learning uh, how to sing, how to dance, how to perform, and writing music together. Okay. But the Spice Girls were they started getting agitating at the agitated at, at how slow the process was taking. Yes, I imagine so. It's a long time. So they ended up um, stealing the masters of some of their demos. And going and soliciting, uh, they, they're actually doing some showcases and soliciting help yeah. from other producers in, in the area in London. And they're from England, of course. 
and finally, like getting someone to bite uh, who helped them record Wannabe, which became their their. Well, what about this hit. poor guy that like, rented them a house for two years? Yeah, it was this this husband, uh, not husband. It was this dad and the heart management. They were the, so. Did the they, dad, they still got a cut? I imagine. I don't know. I didn't. Sure I didn't. Must. I, I didn't I delve s- too far. Well, they weren't under contract. That was the thing. Oh my god! And they were. That was uh, the spice. They were also. They were a little bit freaked out by not having a record contract and a, and a deal with yeah. this management company. So they started getting. You know, this doesn't feel safe anymore, and we're yeah. putting in all this work. Um, and yeah, so they. So I think they bailed. I don't know if there was any contractual obligation oh or a suit. Maybe there was a lawsuit because. As we know, the Spice Girls became one of the I mean, largest selling. It was insane. Acts the late nineties, they were. It was nuts. The late nineties, it was wild. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, and it was such a short span of time. It was basically, excuse me. Um, this album, which was called Spice. Yes. <laughs> Spice yeah. came out in late ninety five. Oh, there were three different record, uh, three different mixes of of Wannabe. By the way, the fir- the first two just didn't quite work until the third one. They made it. You know, brought it to a mixing company who who made it a lot more like made it pop a lot more but but this came out 95 and from late 95 until 2000 they did three albums um spice sold 23 million spice world the second one sold 13 and forever the third one sold 4 million of course it was less 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 yeah, yeah. but still 40 million albums in like four years yeah that's, that's nice. crazy wannabe sold 7 million copies on its own they became it became the the i think it was the great the biggest most selling single by a girl group in the history of, you know, selling out. I mean, it yeah. was huge. It's, it was wild. So huge. I have a question for you. So yeah, yeah. hypothetical. So let's say, let's say you were single. Mm, I was single. No, let's say you are single. I'm single. Now yeah. you're not, but let's, let's just say you are. I'm not married. What's that? Yeah, no, continue. Yes. Okay, yes. So I'm saying, you're right. Hypothetical is you're not married. You're single. Hard for you to grasp. Um, and, and, it's early. And if you did meet someone, would you tell them, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. In other words, would you say to them, we, you got to get you got to get with Quantum Week. If you want to be my lover, you got to be with you got to be a fan of Quantum Week. That's, that's, what they, what they, that's what they're saying. That is what they're saying. They're um, saying you got to appreciate you know great things. You got to appreciate my friends, the things that I'm interested in. If you want to get with me, that's what they're saying. So I quite I didn't quite know what they meant from their meeting. Like, do you want to do you, you have to sleep with my friends? Like in some sort of no, harem situation? Like you you mean like, just like hang out yeah, with? Yeah, them, yeah, like, like yeah. All right. Um, well, I have a question for you. This is this directly so affects my. I'm answer. about to this okay. directly. <laughs> do I get to put Leonardo on my calf? No. If I don't get to put Leonardo on my no, calf, then not, fuck it. Not, I'm not putting those. Uh, no, get those conditions do not go down. So you would not tell. Uh, no. Uh, so, no. No. So if you're, it's going to be completely hypothetical uh, girlfriend liked did not like Quantum Week. You still date this person? Yeah. I mean, if I don't get Leonardo, I don't give a shit. You don't get. You do not. So All yeah, right, this, yeah. That's a uh, talk about my tattoo I have with my friends. Matt wants to be... Go back and listen to our episodes if you want to hear the old stories, uh, motherfuckers. Well, right, <laughs> Jesus probably Christ. Probably did explain it. <laughs> um, anyway, so where were we? Okay, sold a shit ton. And then they like they burned bright and burned out. Uh, yeah. You had uh, Ginger left first yes, in I, ni- yes. like 98, pretty early. So it was the like second two hours. album, right? Or yeah, I think so. She said she was burned out. Like, I can't do it anymore. Right. And she was even there when, when the Spice Girls were, were given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the British Grammys. I read that doing research. Dude, that, yes. Like, four years in, 2000, uh, she was still in the audience. And the, she but didn't she get just up didn't, and accept no, the award. No. And she didn't blame, perform with them. I don't, I don't either. blame her. I'd be like, fuck this. I'm sure she was happy for them. Yeah, but I mean, Jesus. all this money. You're already insanely yeah. rich to do all this bullshit. And then, uh, but then they got back together. They did. They did. They've done two reunions. They did one in like 2008-ish and then another one in like 2018. And now it's Posh Spice is the one that holds out. Is that what she it is? She doesn't do it. 
because well, that makes she's sense. married to David Beckham. Yeah, she's, she's like got her own rich, iconic. She does the fashion stuff. stuff so. Right. But then Ginger, I think Ginger, maybe the, the wallet got a little light, and Ginger, I was Ginger like, came okay, back I'm back and, in on yeah, this. Yeah, I'm back in. Um, so now I guess the four girls do it now. So Wannabe was recorded. They wrote Spice this. women now, probably, right? Spice ladies, I think. Spice, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Wannabe was written in 30 minutes. I'm not surprised. What? No, it's a, a true craft. <laughs> Actually, I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for the song. I, re- I really, really like it in certain ways, which I'll it, talk no, about in a second. It, it is. It is. Uh, there is a lyric, though. And if you bug me, then I'll say goodbye. I guess it's the lyrics are not good, <laughs> I mean, but I mean, just the song construction in general, yes. this reminded me why I like pop music in general, because there are pop, there are interesting elements of it that, that grab your attention. I agree. Um, cause I, the girl power, the lyrics aren't good. It's not girl power it's enough horrible. for me. The lyrics are horrible, but they have a lot of energy and they don't actually perform very well either. The, the song was recorded in an hour actually. And that makes complete sense to me too, because each one of them are doing like two lines. Yeah. Uh, except for there's two of them that have like a memory, yeah sporty right? and I can't remember maybe it might be sporty and not sporty scary scary and ginger might do the most of it there's two of them I, I don't know which ones are I can hear I two think of those them two do the rap but there's like I think baby spice is like one lyric yeah that's it yeah, maybe like, one lyric I can in each see verse how or something yeah yeah and then all of them are singing in the chorus but mm. it's such an easy chorus you just clip it once and and there you go um, recorded in an hour and but still it's it's a it's a neat song. They start with the pre. So normal song construction is you have a ver- you have like some sort of intro, short intro. Now then you have a verse, and then you have a chorus, and then later on you might have like a like some sort of bridge to to change it up a little bit, and then chorus, and you're done. That's kind of normal song construction, like A B A B A C B done. Um, but in this, they start with the pre-chorus, which could be considered a bridge. The the uh, so tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll is tell the- you what I want, what I really, really. <laughs> it's, 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 you, you can't help but do it. It's inside <laughs> of a good song, right? It like, is, it, yeah. It's the call and response, yes. cool one. Um, the zigga zigga is weird. Oh, that was an. <laughs> in- of course, that was an improv. <laughs> that, is, that is weird. Yes. Yeah. So what the fuck is a zigga zigga? People tried to attribute meaning to it later on, like it was uh, having a cigar like- on a on a uh, while you're taking a shit is what I saw. But that's that. No, I think is that what just- it means. Someone I've never you know, I've taken shits, I've smoked cigars, I've never done it at the same time. Well maybe I don't I don't want to smoke my house. No, I don't want to smoke in there. I mean, you'd have to do it in an outhouse, which is that's gross yeah, too. Gross, so yeah. you don't want to do no, that. Thank you. Yeah. Um but she wait, wait, wait. So yeah, so they recorded in an hour. Okay, song construction. Pre-chorus first. So it's it's the little that uh, tell me what you want happens right before the chorus of if you wanna be my lover, you got to get with my friends. That happens first in the song. So it goes that and then into the verse and then the pre-chorus again. So tell me what you want into the chorus. That's like such an interesting way of writing it, giving you that feature first. And that that becomes kind of the hook, even though it's not the the verse or the chorus. Usually the chorus is kind of the hook of the song. It, like it's the thing that you sing over and over in your head, but it's the tell me what you want, what you really want. Yeah, That's yeah, the thing yeah, that gets yeah. stuck yeah. in your head. So I thought that was really innovative, interesting song construction you don't hear a lot of. Um, and then... The other cool thing is the baseline in that pre-chorus, the beginning of Tell Me What You Want, is a is kind of a little nod to Summer Nights, which is the Grease tune. Oh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. It's a minor version of that, but it's a little, thro- it's a little like, little. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So fast. Yeah, which kind of makes sense. I, I feel like there's some parallel there. Yeah, Because you got your that. gangs, you got your and female gangs and you your male that, gangs. That call and repeat, too. Yep, call and response. Very, oh, I'm sorry, call and response. Yep. That oh, is another one where you can't help it. You can't. Yeah, yeah you that's can't a really good. It. That's a really good um, connection there. Yeah, I think so. Things. Yeah. So, uh, anything, I don't know. Is there anything else? I, I, I just, in general, I like the song. It's catchy. It's cool. 
I agree. Yeah. I, I do. I, I, it's, it's, I think the song works on a lot of levels. It's also for me and my friends at yeah. the time, and even me now, it's, as you can hear, we're doing this. It's really fun to make fun of. Yeah. So it's like, it's super bizarre and cheesy and stupid, but yet it's catchy enough. We don't really get bored of it. No. And you can just like, and it's like a fun, playful song. Like you can tell they're not taking, this is like the anaconda of songs. That's again. <laughs> they, they don't take it. They don't take it too seriously. No, they don't. They, they're, they're just having it's fun. They're just having fun. And it, they're young. They're having fun. They're dancing around. It's cool. And it's like infectious. If they're having fun, then like you're having fun. Like, yeah. If Anaconda doesn't take it too seriously, then you won't. You can just enjoy it and, and just have a good time. And that's almost like a life lesson. Like if you just have I fun, think so. like just the, and the fun can be infectious. If you, you know, if you start to take things too seriously and maybe with this song, you probably shouldn't. Probably Then, then it would have lost. It wouldn't have worked. Yep. So... And the only other thing that I thought of when I was listening to is the mix is a little strange for me. The if you listen to the if you listen to the vocals in the chorus, they're a lot loud. They're so loud versus the rest of the music. Uh, and I don't know. I'm not sure why they. Did. I guess just to really put them front and center. And it's not like that through the verses. But once you get to the chorus, when it's all of them singing, it's it's like super loud. I think that's vocals girl power. Stuff. It could be girl power. Maybe yeah, it might have been a conscious decision. But that I was, was like, hmm, that's an interesting that's power choice. Um, also, they didn't have quite the same resources that even I do in my studio now back then mm. uh, to like mix that a little, to mix five voices like that better. But anyway, that's what I got. Yeah. So what were you doing at this time? Okay. You're in high school. It's your senior year. I was. So I actually know exactly what I was doing on this very weekend. How about that? Our parallel weekend, we said, Our parallel by the weekend, way. Yes. Um, so me, and this is something we did a few different times. So me and my buddies, what we would do is, this is almost pathetic, but yet it was fun. We remember how young we were. We were 17, 18 years old. Yeah. I was 17 at the time. So luckily I had a friend. There were three or four of us. There were four of us that went up this weekend or down. So we went to, so we did this for a lot in the late 90s. The Red Sox would have an opening day. Yep. None of us could afford that. Yep. No. But we'd always go to the second and third games, which are typically on weekends at that time. So we would go to the Saturday, Sunday games. So we would go 97, if you remember, if you're a Red Sox fan or if you're a baseball fan, that was the year, was not a great year. So Roger Clemens left after 96. Oh, yeah, went to the Blue Jays. That's right. Pedro Martinez came to Boston 98. But 97 is his lost year. They tried to fill the gap with Steve Avery. 97 is also the year where Nomar Garciaparra won Rookie of the Year. Oh, yeah. But at that moment in April 97, he hadn't won Rookie of the Year yet. So there wasn't a lot of hyper excitement around this team. It was basically Mo Vaughn and a bunch of kind of Scrubs. castaways. Yeah. It wasn't a very exciting team. Um, so tickets were actually really affordable, especially when you're a high school kid. So what we would do is we'd go down for the Saturday game um, and we would watch that game. And then we would then go to on Route 1 in Saugus because we couldn't afford to stay in Boston. And the only one of us that was 18 would go to different hotels and try to get us a room. <laughs> uh, and a lot of places would say no, but we found a place finally. This ended up being our go-to place, which was Fern's Motel on Route 1. The <laughs> sign is still there. The motel has been bulldozed. Um, they would charge us double. So really? it was $70 a night. I think back then it was 140 for us. But the, how many of you would, would go? It, would, it was four of us. Yeah, so all right. But it still sucked. It like they, char- they, didn't, they really shouldn't have charged us double. It was no, an 18-year-old should. wanted to get a room. There's nothing against that. Right. Um, but they charged us double, and we kind of just you know grinned and took it. And uh, this place was horrible you turn the air conditioner on the room became filled with black smoke oh no we i think we stayed at friends three or four times one time we stayed in a room that didn't have a door for the bathroom oh jesus which was all, like this was awful one time what, the only 
one of the times we brought we brought girls back there. It's oh. so awful. So then we would go to the, there's a star market and a, a super, I'm uh, sorry, a stop and shop across the street yeah. on Route 1. And we would try to bribe or give homeless people or like random guys. We never asked like women, we always asked guys yeah. if they would go in and buy us beer. <laughs> so we would pay them like double the beer. No one ever stiffed us. So like the bums or like the ladies about to whoever we could find never ran away with our money ever. Yeah. But sometimes it would take like 45 minutes, an hour to find someone who'd be willing to go in and do it. Because most of the time, be like, guys would be like, no, no. Yeah, I'm if surprised that anybody me, said yes. I, if someone I would me, say I'd no. Like, no, like I'm good guys. No, yeah, no, good sorry. luck, guys. Yeah. I don't want someone to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, now, maybe it was different 97. I don't know. But we would always find someone. It just took a while. And most of the time, you'd find like some like really de- we'd find the most like deplorable person to ask. So yeah, go like, that person. That's your target. Yeah, right. That's where you go after. <laughs> so there we go. So then we would go. We would get drunk and like watch like we'd bet on like late night wrestling. Like it was like WWE. Like, like we would just like bet on random shit. We're in this dirty room. Uh, it was some of us would sleep on the floor. We'd, uh, we'd like bet on who would sleep on the. Floor. Uh, this is the grossest floor ever. And then we would get up in the morning and the next day and we'd go to the Sunday game. Yeah. Um, I remember the Sunday game. I, 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 I think I had the year right here. I forgot to check for a lot, but I think this was the year Wally the Green Monster made his appearance. Really? Wally the Green Monster, the mascot of uh, the Red Sox. He came out. I figured that was a Henry uh, appointment. No, no, no. It was definitely 97 or 98. Interesting. He came and I was there. The, for the booger. The booger. Yeah, he looks like a booger, doesn't okay. he? Okay. Uh, yeah, he looks like a Muppet. All right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He came out and we all booed him. Oh, the whole stadium booed him. People hated him. I hated Wally the Green Monster. Really? Hated well, I, I mean, I, that makes sense. Awful. I mean, and I think he sucks today. Not good. Uh, and uh, and then I, we went home and I watched, uh, after that one o'clock game, we, we booked at home and we watched the end of the Masters. Um, and Tiger Woods won the, oh, uh, right. won the green jacket. That was the Sunday. That I'm, I'm bleeding one day into the week there. But I remember exactly what it, so that's what we do every weekend. Me and my my buddies, we'd all you know, a lot of times we'd go to we go to Boston. This is what I did a lot in the late nineties, and I'll, I'll get more to that when we hit more later nineties. I took this like I had this weird three year period mm. between high school and college where I was just kind of like, yeah, you you didn't go to college right away. Well, no, I didn't. Right, I kind of just had this time where I was up, just kind of like I don't say finding myself is so dramatic, but just I was kind of like lost. Yeah, and uh, this was reading into that lost period where I was just kind of just kicking around. We go to Boston a lot. We go to Comedy Connection. I'll talk about those stories later on, but this is a great example of what I was doing between like 96 and 99. I would go to Boston every weekend I could. We'd go to Red Sox games, go to Celtics games. We'd stay at shitty hotels. Most of the time we didn't have girls with us <laughs> and we would just like, just, just, I don't know, just have fun. It, but it was still like a lot of fun. Like I don't, I look back that weekend, I just had a big grin on my face, like with all my buddies and like, <laughs> you know, and like I said, you met some of my, like I, yeah, we're still all, right. we're still all friends today. Yeah. So like, we, you know, we talk about this stuff. It, it was just, it was just a, a fun time in my life. And it was just, uh, it was, I remember being like on a Tuesday and you're just looking forward to Saturday so much. Cause you know, you're going to go to Boston with your buddies and you're going to go, you know, walk around, you know, Fenway park and the Red, the Red Sox were a part of it, but it was more just hanging out with my buddies. Of course. That's a good story. Yeah. It was fun. Fern's Motel. If you ever drive by Route One, check it out. It's uh, it's it was it was the worst to this day, the worst motel I ever stayed at. Okay, yeah, sounds like it. Um, headlines, headlines. Okay, so uh, you were right. We talked about this on the Wednesday episode. There weren't a lot of things happening, but no, I, I was, was able to weak. scrape some shit together. Um, the most depressing one was there was a fire outside of Mecca in Saudi Arabia. You know what Mecca is, right? Mecca. Um, every so well, my world geography is very bad. Well, Mecca is a, is a uh, it's on the coast, Saudi Arabia, but close to the coast. And it's, it's like the most important religious city uh, for Muslims. Oh, okay. And they're required. I think there's some exceptions, but in general, they're required to make a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their lifetime. Oh, okay. And so yearly you'll have you oh, know, wow. millions yeah, and millions yeah, yeah. of people go there. But 
this happened to be the beginning of Hajj. I think I'm pronouncing that right, which is, uh, it is like an annual time period to, to, to journey to Mecca. And unfortunately, there was a fire in, in, a, in a pilgrimage camp and 300 people died outside oh. of Mecca on this weekend. Okay. Sad one. Don't, don't have a lot of funny things to say about that. So no. we're going to move on. Okay. Well, are they supposed to be? It doesn't always well, happen. The idea is that, well, no, but okay. idea, ideally, I, you tell the headline, I kind of react to it in a comedic I'm just going to tell you what happened and you and, can uh, make and, fun of this one. I'm not going to. Okay, I, I enjoy doing our show. <laughs> Microsoft released uh, Internet Explorer 4 on April 8th. Oh, okay. <laughs> now you're laughing at a maniac. All right. Does that crack you up? I'm just waiting. No, waiting for you. <laughs> We've done like 13 of these shows. You haven't realized what I do yet? All right. No, so next I'm still 4. learning. But uh, my favorite thing about the uh, when the, these releases, and I'm sure everyone's seen it, but if you now, if you haven't seen it today, see it again. Because the thing when they, when they release, I think it's like Windows 2000, right? When they're all like Bill Gates is like clapping and they're all like- Do they still do that? No. Well, they did in like Probably 2000. They, yeah, they, they, they totally did. There's yeah. that great video of them yeah. just like <laughs> dancing around and clapping. I I watch that probably every other week just for a laugh. I think it just makes me laugh so hard. Um, oh, geez, another sad one. John Stone, the co-creator of Sesame Street, dead, 64 years old. Co-creator with Jim Henson. That means we had both the creators mm. dead at that point. Jim Henson, of course, died in 1990 of From the pneumonia. Cold. Oh, he had the cold. He had pneumonia. Yeah. Water in his lungs. That's but weird, his son just died, Jim Henson. No. Yeah, that head Henson blood's not very good. Sorry. I really, I have a lot of appreciation for Jim Henson. Why? Because he made amazing art for kids. Who does that? No one makes art for kids. A lot of people make art for kids. Like who? That's Spice good. Girls for fucking twenty minutes. Yeah, but we're like young kids, like four, five, six, a seven. Lot of people, years. This whole networks of television devoted now, to but not at that time. That was a very revolutionary. I think thing. the love affair with Jim Henson and Walt Disney we have in this country is fucking a, 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 amazing. Puppets. Amazing. Amazing puppets. <laughs> Doesn't sound ridiculous. The, I, I, I say love that. the uh, so the Muppets. I have a quick Muppet story. SNL story. Yeah. Um, the Muppets. Uh, the first season of SNL, which was the 75, 76 season. I think I got that right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like you know. Um, so, I knew it was in the in the mid seventies. Yeah, you knew it was seventy five, seventy six. I'm getting Ish. exact. Whatever. We'll check it out. Says, yeah. <laughs> um, so the Muppets were a part of that season. They because it was really it was a variety show. They had less sketches then and they didn't really know what they were doing. Hmm. So they were trying, they were throwing a they, Albert Brooks made short films. They were throwing everything they could um at the at the at the uh, wall to see what stuck. Yeah. So they had Muppet stuff. They had a lot of Muppet stuff. If you watch those old and um one of the writers, Michael O'Donohue, who's one of my favorite writers, he wrote the very first sketch in SNL. I think he's a brilliant guy. He's incredible, incredible guy. He's long dead, he died many, many years ago. But he said, uh, he, they asked him to write a sketch with the Muppets, and he said, I won't write for felt. Really? I think that's so great. For felt? Yeah, fuck the puppets. I'm not gonna write for puppets. I'm not gonna write for no, felt? This is so stupid. Like, in case there's a pool table in the sketch, I'm not gonna fucking write for that. What an idiot. No, what I a think stupid he's great. Thing I'm, I'm, I think Michael Dunn, he's a genius. <laughs> what, was the first, uh, what was the first sketch? Do you I remember? It's very funny. It's, um, it's a guy who has trouble speaking English, and another guy who's having him um, say things in English mm. and it becomes weirder and weirder and eventually it's like the Wolverine it's, I think it's called the Wolverine and it ends with with both of them dead R- and then Chevy Chase goes out live from New York it's Saturday night weird it's very weird it's, it's on you can check it out I think it's called the Wolverine is what I think it's called okay check it cool out. Yeah. yeah I'll check it's, it out it's, uh, yeah it's a very strange it's John Belushi I believe and I believe it's Michael Donahue okay um, he's in it yeah and um, that's how the show started Crazy. Yes, first. Was it? Did it start in front of a live audience too? Is that yeah. how it's always yep. been? Okay. Every, yeah, always been. It was called Saturday Night, though. It wasn't called Saturday Night Live. That's right. I do remember. Howard that. Cosell had a show called Saturday Night Live at the same time. Yeah. And if you check it out that book, Live from New York. Um, have you read that? I haven't. It's really good. Check that out. It's it's a oral history. Um, uh, of SNL. It's incredibly well done. Cool. Last headline. Okay. The Major League Soccer in the United States expanded to Miami and Chicago 
on April 9th. Expanded? Yes. So it had already been around. It had already been around. Oh, yeah, MLS has Revolution been around Revolution was one of the first, but not that much longer now, I th- Early 90s, I think. Yeah, because I remember, um, what was the Olympics, 92, where you had, uh, who was the, the bearded defense man, uh, Alexi Lalos? Uh, he was like one of the prized possessions of of the MLS with get, getting him after the yeah, Olympics. So true. I think that was maybe maybe ninety three. Like, like ninety, yeah, that was later. Do you like? I don't like soccer. I love soccer, just not U.S. Do you soccer. Watch not good. soccer? Not now. No, but so I you would don't love it that much. Then uh, if if we if the United States actually had a really good, do you watch uh, the soccer? World Cup? But you don't watch. Like, I do. You don't watch like Premier League or anything. No, because I, I have no affiliation with any right. with any of the teams. But you, you're anything. all excited for the World Cup. Uh, not anymore. Right. I don't like international competition anymore. It, I'm, I'm burned by the Olympics. I hate the Olympics, so I don't. I don't watch international. Yeah, I'm down on that stuff too. I don't like any of it. But if if the problem with MLS is they don't play on fields that are big enough, so everything is really compressed because they're they're using they're repurposing yeah, football fields, right, right. not soccer fields. Yep. So that's why that's why it's hard it's harder to watch. They're just they're not all really? clumped together and stuff. I still yeah. like soccer. I like soccer. I played for years. I loved I loved R- playing. Did you play? I through high school. Did you? Yeah, of course. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Down on soccer. Okay, so I think this is the last episode of the week. It is. And then next week, we don't even know what the hell's oh, happening. We don't, yet. Oh, I should have had the Laura up to the date. She asked too. I'm like, no. Oh, yeah, we don't know. We'll, we'll post it, though. We'll post it. We'll put, yeah, check uh, Instagram. We'll have it up. By the time you hear this, uh, we'll oh, have way up. Yeah. We'll have we'll have the new schedule up because you're yeah. doing this on a Saturday. So go listen to this and then go check out the Instagram. It'll be there and we'll post the new schedule. I don't even know. Yeah, we don't even know what you're We don't even doing. know. Yeah. But we'll know by then. We will. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys.